we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. The best things in life are free. For everything else, there's gratuitous sex and violence. <laughs> uh, my name is Orlando and I'm joined by my frequent guest, co-host, and roommate, Ned. Say hi, Ned. What's happening? How's it going? How's life? Oh, life is just trucking along. Dandy. Seeing the sights. Just dandy. Yeah. Well, we're here to watch another great, fantastic film tonight. That's good. You always bring me the best, <laughs> most fantastical things. You guys always bring me the best violence. Yes. Oh, my favorite, my favorite sample on that whole thing. Uh, this movie we're going to watch tonight is called Deathstalker. Mm, or, as it's known in Spanish, Cazador de Muerte. It is a 1983 Argentine-American fantasy adventure film directed by James Spardalotti, but credited as John Watson, and starring Rick Hill, Barbie Benton, Bernard Erhard, and Lana Clarkson. Have you ever seen this movie, Ned? I have not. No. No? no have you ever heard all. of this movie? No, I have not. Uh, not not prior to meeting you, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, this movie was produced by Roger Corman. Okay. Uh, who, uh, he's produced a lot of schlocky movies, a lot of exploitation. Good. Um, and he, this, is, this was the first of nine movies that he produced uh, in Argentina. Okay. The second of which was The Warrior and the Sorceress, which we've seen recently. Okay, cool. This is the first one he produced. Okay, okay. So this is the one where he 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 learned all he learned all the things that he learned. Well, so he didn't that he learn. He, make... no, he, he didn't learn anything. He was already producing a bunch of films before okay. this. Because okay. Roger Corman, he's been producing for like since the '60s. He produced the original Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, okay. So that's, he's he's that's... produced a lot of trash. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of similarities that you're going to catch between this and The Warrior and the Sorceress that okay. I'm excited to talk about. Uh, the number one thing that I would uh, look out for just, you know, just right off the bat is to notice that the score in this is very similar. In fact, Warrior and the Sorceress uses a lot of the themes from this movie. Really? In its movie. So mm. the music will automatically be familiar for you. Fascinating. <laughs> you know, they got to keep things cheap, you know? But yeah, no, absolutely. two movies two different yeah, ways. You know, there there was one time, I, I think it was like, it was the first time I saw, um, it was the first time I saw the movie Inglorious Bastards uh -huh. by Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. uh, in the theaters. And I remembered there was like a moment in that film where... Um, <clears throat> Where he used a, a, a piece of music by, um, you know, and and Ennio Mark, Ennio Morricone, Ennio Morricone. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, and um, and for some reason, uh, at the time I watched, I was like, oh, he literally just used the exact same music that he used in Kill Bill in right. this movie. Mm -hmm. Turns out that that was not the case. Uh, on a second watch, I was like, oh wait, no, it's different. Same composer, but right. different. But I remember just being like, Quentin Tarantino, man, why, why you gotta, why you gotta take shortcuts like that? 
Um, so that's interesting that we're actually going to see a movie that literally <laughs> does that. Yes. That thing. Yeah. So. So we're going to watch this uh, and then we're going to go on the other side and play some trivia and discuss it. For those of you at home who want to watch this movie and then play along with us, this film is available to stream for free if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, It's also available to rent in a bunch of places. We're watching it on Amazon Prime tonight. So, Ned, are you ready to delve into... The sword and sorcery cult classic, Deathstalker. I was born ready, sir. All right, here we go. We're going to watch the movie. We'll be right back. See you on the other side. Peace. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. And we're back. And we have just seen Deathstalker. Yes, we have. First reactions. <laughs> um, it 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 uh, it had its moments. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, definitely, uh, <laughs> very gratuitous. Very gratuitous. Very very gratuitous. Yes. Um, so Indeed. much action. Um, which, uh, um, but, uh, but it, it, you know, it had its moments. I mean, again, I think, you know, since as of the recording of this podcast, we had already, uh, watched, uh, the sword and the sorceress. Warrior and the sorceress. Warrior and the sorceress. Sorry, I keep getting that wrong. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot of comparison between this movie as and expected, that one. As expected, yes. Uh, which is, you know, a little bit to be expected. So I think, um, uh, yeah, so a lot of my opinions about this movie are based on that comparison. because <laughs> That's that good, because we'll probably discuss that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so this one, I felt, in relation to that one, definitely punches a lot. It definitely, you know, keeps your attention more. There's a little more going on. I feel like it's a lot more lively mm-hmm. and a lot more fun to kind of watch. But, um... Yes, yeah, it is more fun for sure. It yeah, doesn't take yeah. itself so seriously. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I really enjoyed that. Um, that Deathstalker kind of has this sort of wry self awareness throughout right. the film. Yeah. Like even he is wise to all of the weird ass tropes that get thrown his way. And I, I kind of wish that he, that they had played in more into that. And, and again, I guess like the production isn't savvy enough to really pick up on that. Although they did play it silly when it counted, but. I do wish that they had tried to make him more quippy. Yeah, well, because because he's really only that like he's only really that witty in like the first right, half the very of beginning. the movie, mm-hmm. and then like it, it it really does start to drag in the second. The half. second half um, is pretty shitty. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't the really. Ending do, is, is like what? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it does not do a very good job of like tying together all the threads that they set yeah. up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of. It kind of slogs its way through that mm-hmm. through that stuff in the in the back end, um, which is too bad. Yeah, it is. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about the movie here in a second, but uh, let's uh, let's play some trivia. Yeah, some Deathstalker trivia. Let's see what happens. Let's see if if my uh, if my trivia scores will continue to decay or whatever. Oh, well, uh, let's see. I mean, you've been doing pretty all right. You're I've like, been doing you know, okay. Yeah, you're like uh, half and half, I think. And you know, which one, which episodes you do really well in, and which yeah. ones you kind of. You never had like an outright failure though, so you're you should be uh, proud yeah, about this that. Is, this is good. This is true. 
I'm okay with that. So, as always, the grand prize is a bragging rights. And we're going to do five questions and a bonus. And the questions are going to go from least difficult to most difficult. Good. Hopefully. Good. All right. So here's question number one. Lay it on me. To ward off Kang and his men, Taralva the witch transforms her staff into what? Ooh, she transforms it into a snake. A snake! And I was not sure what was going on because in that moment, at first, I thought she was saying to the guy, I'm transforming you into a snake. It kind of, because the editing is really weird. Yeah, the editing's really weird in that Because it doesn't moment. show, like, this movie doesn't show any, like, transforming or magic actually happening. It just, like, gives you something's about to happen and then it edits into something has happened yeah a little bit yeah and, and and so in that moment i was especially confused because i was like wait you're transforming him into a snake by putting a snake on him right like yeah. i was just like okay i guess that's a choice so. and then later on when uh, when mr stalker mr stalker first name death picks up the snake and then the next shot it's already a stick again <laughs> exactly yeah um and i do i do love that you pointed that out that like really everybody does refer to him as stalker so everyone really always calls him like, stalker and, and so it's just like oh okay so i guess it, it like you know look mr stalker mr. is my stalker. dad call me death death like, stalker you know what I mean? yeah like what an awful name to like live your life with <laughs> Death Stalker, get in here right now. Yeah, right. You've got some explaining to do. Death J Stalker. <laughs> Death <laughs> Death Emmerich Stalker. <laughs> All right, you got that one. That was a uh, that was a good one. Now here comes question number two. Which objects does Death Stalker need to reunite, and what are they collectively named? He needs the sword. Uh-huh. He needs the amulet. Uh-huh. And he needs the chalice. Mm-hmm. Chalice from the palace. And... Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, oh. I should have taken a note of this. Um, the... Did I take a note of this? It's actually kind of obvious. Well, yeah. It's... it's, the, it's <laughs> it, wait. I'm, I'm trying to... I want to get the name right, right, though. It's like... It's the... Um, it's the it's it's the one power. It's it's the true power. No, it's the uh, yeah. It's like the three of them. The three of them together are okay. I'm just gonna say the one power. Close. Okay. Okay. But uh, it's really close. It's the three powers. Okay, so it's just the three powers. So yeah. I I clearly thought too hard about right. it. Like I was like, oh wait, yeah, they're coming together. Each power individually is presumably a one power. A one power. <laughs> so so yeah, I basically just had to take one step yeah. away. I, I went one step right. too far into the three powers becoming one power. Right. It's like no, they don't. No, they're, they're just, just they're the three, just the three powers. powers. Okay, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I you got I, partial credit for that. I'll, one. I'll I'll take the partial credit. I'll take that point five because I got out of it right. Let's be real. You're right. You did. Okay. Okay. Um. And yeah, like I feel like both of these, like this one and Warrior and the Princess, features a magic horse, uh, a magic sword, like really heavily. I mean, I guess like in the Warrior and the Sorceress. It's uh it's a holy sword, not really a magic sword. Yeah, yeah, it's it certainly does its job well. Uh 
but uh, but they both feature yeah, swords. Well, it's it's got it seems to have magical qualities though because yeah. you know it, it it still cuts through. I mean, magic, holy, whatever. It's but, all the but, same. But yeah, it's all the same thing. All right, here comes question number three. All right, Munkar, the Munkar. evil sorcerer, mm. has a distinctive tattoo. On which side of his face? Most of the film, it's on the left side of his face, but there is one scene. It is the scene where, um, where uh, midriff sidekick who betrays Ogres. Ogres, Ogres. I'm, I keep dropping the names again. This is another movie where names are not that great for me. Yeah, the names are like okay, and the characters you know, aren't very well defined, so there's yeah. no reason to remember them. Yeah, you know, look. I, I need at least five scenes where somebody <laughs> says, oh, that's so ogreous. Right, like, exactly. If, if, but they didn't give me that because, no. you know, they didn't spoon feed it to me. Um, so, yeah, it's the scene where Ogreous was taken into the torture chamber and uh, the, and he's and, and it's revealed that mm-hmm. he's working with Munkar. Um, and the tattoo is definitely on the right, on his on the right side of his face instead of the left. But for most of the film, it's on the left. That's correct. This is, in fact, a trick question because mostly it's on the left, but it's on the right side in one shot, 56 minutes into the film. It's in that scene which you described. Now, there's another a scene in the tournament later on where we have a reaction shot from a girl in the crowd and she switches sides from left to right as well. What I'm thinking, I, I don't think that this is a necessarily a continuity, although, although it is a continuity error, but I feel like what happened was in editing, they needed a certain reaction shot, but he was looking the wrong way. So they mirrored the image just so he could be looking the right way. And that in turn flipped the tattoo around to the other side of the face. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking was happening too. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think it was a makeup error. Yeah. Like I think, I think with a film like this, where it is, you know, it's it's relatively low production right. value. It's it's all being done quick and dirty. Yeah. So yeah, I think like I would think like yeah, this is probably just one of those things that they had were in the editing room where they're like, oh wait, damn it. Oh, yeah, this looks all it. wrong. Mm-hmm. So okay, we'll just turn around. Just turn around. Don't think about it. Just turn around. I mean this movie was doing. shot in thirty seven days. So Well there you go. <laughs> quick and dirty. <laughs> so so um so yeah they they I would imagine that the editing process had had many compromises <laughs> that had to be made like that. <laughs> So, um, but uh, I guess like anybody who's just watching it, like, uh, I guess you have to, uh, you have to like make the sacrifices. The editor is like, okay, so do I, would I rather sacrifice continuity or have the shot that fulfills it? I mean, this is weird to talk about in this context of the movie, but the, the shot that fulfills it in the emotionally. And I, I hear about a lot of editing that, um, when they talk about mistakes, they all, they always prefer to get a shot that works with the story rather than a shot that is mistake free an editor that's the editor's job even in like big production uh, big budget productions um there's a lot of you know those like sites and stuff that that pick out goofs and a lot of people who like to pick out goofs but uh, a lot of the times it's not that the editors don't catch them it's just that the shot works even with the goof. Well, yeah, because I mean, I think the the most important thing is that the movie, like the story, has to be told as successfully as possible mm-hmm. the first time. Right. I think that's that's the most important thing. 
And so the thing is that like, if you're watching the movie and you have a reaction shot that's framed the wrong way, mm -hmm. that's going to stand out very, in, yeah. in a very jarring way yeah. to an audience member the first time they see the movie. Right. Whereas like, you know, a little continuity error, like some people might pick it up the first time. Certainly more people pick it up if they watch it multiple right. times, but it's not going to be that same kind of jarring effect yeah. of like, oh, their face is in a, what, where are they looking? Right. Like, so, so yeah, that, that makes sense that, that yeah, storytelling and continuity, continuity in the sense of, of just like the flow of the scene right. is more important more than important. like whether it, it did catch a yeah. little mistake. So that's, that's interesting. But, All right. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're doing pretty well so far. Yeah, so that's that's three down? That's three down. Two more to go. Okay. Here comes question number four. Other than when he does so himself at the end of the movie, how many times does Monkar try to have Deathstalker killed and how? Uh, wait, other than other than at the end of the movie right. during the face-off. Okay, right. so, so excluding their final face-off. Right. Munkar, okay, okay. Um, so the first, uh, the first death plot is when he transforms one of his henchmen into the now enslaved princess, Princess Codil. Yeah, Princess Codil. Um, then he gets uh, ogress. Ogress. Then he gets ogress to kill him or mm -hmm. to try to mm -hmm. kill him and he fails um and then and then he sends Khan I guess there what's the what was the name of the guy who at the beginning was at the witch's hut and then transforms into a bird and flies away Khan. Kang or Kong Kang, Kang. Kang. Yeah. yeah I think it was Kang um, then, yeah, then Kang kind of encounters Deathstalker, uh, or yeah, it's or he transforms into Kang or something like that, or some some transformation happens where Kang's back in the picture. So three times. Okay. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Now, I put a question mark by the third one. Yeah. Because it, I that, feel that was a little unclear. I feel like like Kang is Munkar. Maybe that is, yeah, maybe that because is. Because I feel like the witch at the very beginning, again, it doesn't really, you you don't have a moment to to realize what's happening plot-wise, but the witch at the very beginning, when he's when she's attacking Kang uh, and notices the amulet, she's like, or is it you, Munkar, you know? Yeah, she does have that moment. And, mm -hmm. and also, like, it is, yeah, I think, yeah. So he, it's not very well established, but I think that Kang and Munkar are, are the same person. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you might be right. So uh, it's and too definite, and then I, w I put the third one that's still Monkar at the end trying to kill him is what I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I f I, yeah, yeah. I think that's... yeah. That's but, but you're still going to get it. You're still going to get it. Cause yeah, Because yeah. the third one, the third has a question mark around. A little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and again, it just, they didn't... Yeah, they just, they didn't give it, they didn't give it like a, a thing to make it like... Clear. Right, it's not clear at I all. I mean, I mean, like they they do have her saying that line, and they do show like he's like at his bloody table, and he says stuff, and then he turns around and he's Kang. But it, right, so so like they he do picks try up it, to... and he picks up the head and puts it on, and then he's Kang, he's Monkar. Yeah, yeah. So so 
<laughs> yes, but again, like well, yeah, oh yeah, we, that's we, the other thing too. Yeah, we never see I, the. Tra- I, missed, I missed him putting the head right. on him because we never see the transformation though. happening. It's like we we see him reaching for the head and then he puts it on and then the next shot he's already Munkar. Yeah, which so, is like which is a valid choice if you've got a limited budget, but right? Like, but you've still gotta yeah, you've still gotta do something in how you're composing your shots yeah. to make it crystal clear what just happened or establish so. it. I think more because like the rule of threes, like we only really got two instances of he of him transforming or be or being in Kang. Other than that, Kang is not really in the movie. Yeah, that's the other thing. And it's like, why is Kang? Yeah. Like, like what, he's, what is it that him being Kang does that gives him an advantage over it, him? First time I saw this movie, I was like, oh, is Kang like, you know, the second big bad? But or like the dragon or something. Right. But like, he's not yeah. really. Oh. You know, he's just he's just in like two scenes in the movie. Yeah. Which is weird. But there's all I mean, in this movie, there's a lot of characters that I feel like are really underdeveloped and only appear for like one or two scenes and then the rest or if they are in the rest of the movie you're like what's your purpose in this movie you know so who knows whatever indeed um so that you you got that one that's good you're doing pretty good so far um here comes question number five this was again just like uh, in warrior and the sorceress it was really hard to come up with the trivia for this because all the details are very in your face. There's not really a lot of subtext in this movie. Yeah. So this fifth question is just, if you remember this, um, we'll what was Deathstalker's first line in the movie? <laughs> uh, ooh, um... I don't, I don't think, no, it's not this one, it's not, I, I don't think it's this one, um, yeah, because I'm sure he says at least a couple lines before this one, but this is the only one I can remember, so I'm just gonna uh-huh. give this one as my uh-huh. answer, um, today just isn't your day, is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> that happens very early on in the movie. It's very early, but I think it's like his third line. Right, it's not that so one. So it's not his first line. And then he says, uh, oh, today's not my day either. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh, as opposed to the poor girl who like was almost raped by two completely different parties. Uh, and by him. And by him, kind of, sort of. Although She kind of wanted it, she, but I, yeah, yeah, I, I, it yeah. was very great area. Like, consent is just being Deathstalker yeah, in this that, universe or something? Deathstalker like, puts his hands on you. You That's consent? Yeah, you, you pretty much have uh, sex with him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So his very first line in the movie is... That's my horse. Oh right, <laughs> yes, and it was a, it was perfectly delivered. Too. Right. Oh, I can't believe I missed that. Oh. It's such a great line. It's yeah, it's a good it's a good opening. I and it, and and I think it was like around the yeah, it was basically within those first three lines that I was just like, okay, like this 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 leading man at least yeah, he gets what fucking movie he's yeah. in, and he you know he's not that great, but he certainly. He certainly holds holds up, you know, his duties. He definitely was nice Enough. and quippy during that very first scene. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, we're going to go right to the bonus. Yes. Now, this Please. bonus question is really just your best guess because this is like a detail, like a, a behind-the-scene making of detail okay. in the movie. Okay. That's fair. No, that's fair. That's a good game. All right. 
But I want you to know, or I want you to guess, if you could tell me who was the only actor in the film who used an actual real sword. Actually, um, I think I think it was uh, I think it was Ogress because um, he he had really good fighting form mm-hmm. throughout the film. I I like I remember like noticing like oh he's like actually really good in his fight scenes. So um, so I'm gonna say it's him. Ogress would be a good guess. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, as you said, he had good form. Richard Brooker. He was a trained stuntman. Yeah. So it would make sense. Yeah, it showed. It definitely showed. He he. All of his fight scenes were really good. I but it was not him. Okay. He used a him. prop sword. The only actor to use a real sword was Lana Clarkson, who played Kyra. Oh, uh, the 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 blonde, the blonde uh, female warrior. Female yeah. warrior. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is she, is she like a stunt performer too? Or? She was not. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like swords. I guess. <laughs> I don't know whose decision it was to put a real sword. Maybe, but maybe it was like the budget or whatever. But they couldn't find more than one. But she was the only one who used an actual sword during filming. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm trying to like think back to any of her like fight scenes. Like she only had. She really only had like a couple of. Fight yeah, scenes. yeah. She had like yeah that that like yeah that skirmish in the very beginning. Or I guess yeah. Did they did they really fight like when when Ogris and Deathstalker like did, yeah did when she, they discover did she, her yeah did yeah, I forget did did her and mm, Ogris like, not really right uh, maybe just a little bit maybe just a couple because okay yeah yeah they do they do like trade a little bit but not too much yeah and then she gets into the mix during and then like, they reveal the, her the, that the, as, as the a woman and yeah, yeah and she gets into the mix. But that's okay. more physical. She's not really throwing a sword around. She's like hitting and punching. Okay. So so maybe that so maybe that yeah, maybe that would have been the clue if if she doesn't really use the sword that much. It's then. dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you want a prop sword. Stay though. away from the sword. Um interesting. Yeah. So Deathstalker was a, a modest hit at the box office. Okay. Um, at the time of its release, it benefited from the fact that it came right after Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Barbarian was like this big hit at the box office it was the first 80s sword and sorcery movie to really kick off like sort of like a mini golden age of fantasy that proceeded for the rest of the 80s and gave us a bunch of you know b fantasy movies i i I hesitate in calling it a golden age because i think the, the actual golden age is now considered like after lord of the rings and you know, I I think well, I, th- I would say uh, I guess to follow up on our discussion about you know the distinction between low and high fantasy, I guess you could say that Lord of the Rings ushered in a new era of high fantasy. High, high fantasy, um, but where, but sword and sorcery definitely in the eighties there was a bunch of sword and sorcery movies, yeah, which definitely. is they were considered low fantasy movies. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Uh, the Conan the Barbarian movies, both of them created a market for these films, um, and a bunch of them just came out. <laughs> yeah, he really, I really did keep thinking. I mean, I actually haven't seen Conan the Barbarian, but like his look is very Conan, very reminiscent like, of just, it. Yeah, big strapping chest and lugging around big arms. This movie also big came arms. out on video right at the beginning of the video rental market 
um, which now we that market doesn't even exist anymore. You know, it's all yeah. it's all online streaming. But back in the mid to late eighties, like that was an emerging market, and this film became one of the most popular films on video in those early days. Uh, and it was also frequently shown on cable TV again during the the fledgling early days of showing movies on premium channels on cable. So that's how this movie acquired a, a cult following. It, it was a uh, fairly popular in that respect. Um, but as far as the film itself, I feel like the, the, similar to Warrior and the Sorceress, it has a lot of issues with underdeveloped characters and plot points. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely pretty, yeah, pretty under, underbaked for, uh, for pretty much almost every character. Right. Like, um... Yes, so very underdeveloped. Um, but if there's one positive thing about this movie that I can think of, even more so than Warrior and the Sorceress, I feel like this movie is a good primer to teach someone how to make a movie on the cheap. Because there are a lot of like really cool shortcuts that I feel like you could actually do better than the way this movie did it. But... You know, like it, it teaches you like during the the violent scenes when there's like stabbing and beheading, you can cut to right before and right after. You don't actually have to show the effect of the slicing, which saves presumably a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, the magic effects also just like, you know. Yeah, before and after. Before uh, and after give you the illusion that something's happening. Um, and a lot of the action, like we said, was very well choreographed, but a lot of it was pretty suggestive. Yeah. You know, even like the gore and stuff that happens, it's not. Um, I think Warrior and the Sorceress is like this, too. Like the gore is over the top and in, and there's a lot of it gratuitous, but it's not it doesn't really dwell on it because there's no budget to dwell on it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? very much so. Um, it just it just happens and then we move on yeah. to something else. Yeah. And uh, talking about the violence, that leads us to our first GSV segment, which is shots, 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 shots. There is, there are way too many deaths in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. What are some memorable deaths that stuck out to you? Well, I'll start from the beginning, I guess, and kind of work our way backwards because Munkar's Munkar's undoing. Oh my God! Drawn and quartered. Ugh. Oh yeah, and and they 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 were not shy about um yeah kind of showing like some guts pouring yeah. out as it happened they, they spend like budget that. on that yeah definitely um i there's something very though very low budget about the blood in this film it oh, just was all very it was very watery it was um, obviously like corn syrup yeah and, like with and, red dye and there was like and there was just something about how how it spurted from some people. There's especially like one scene where, um, where, uh, Deathstalker 
uh, kind of does a turn and stabs a guy behind him. It's supposed to look badass, and it's but supposed it to look it. badass. But then, like, but they do like he does the stab, and then they show the blood, a, a shot of just the blood kind of spurting. And I was like, oh, that yeah. that looks like that wasn't blood. That right. looked like something else. Yeah, some looks, other bottle. It looks dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was what I said. Slightly when it happened. I was like, oh, that looked really dirty. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was definitely low budget. Um, I I liked the I actually liked the tournament montage. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually kind of fun. I a lot of like wrestling stuff in there. Yeah, well, I was expecting I was expecting them to like. I was expecting them to show the whole tournament, like, right. uh, and, and that, like, how the tournament tournament evolved would be more intricate. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't they, at all. It wasn't at all. <laughs> In but, fact, but, you only really but, see Deathstalker fight once. The whole like, yeah, that's a thing. Like, yeah, you only yeah, you don't you, make your way up the ranks. Like, yeah, apparently, yeah, they don't. Yeah, they didn't show us. Yeah, they didn't show us him like working his way up the ranks or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was it. It actually, I thought was a pretty well done, well put together sequence of of just like showing like all the different pairings of warriors mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, a lot of great uh, a lot of great bits of gore for that one, especially mm-hmm. uh, especially the big hammer. I think that one was your favorite. The big right? hammer that smashes into the uh, the person so hard <laughs> that when the camera shows us. What was left of the individual, it was just a pool of watery blood. Yeah. Just no bones, of, yeah. no guts, no meat. Uh, just was, in his helmet or something. Yeah, I think he, was he with the one with the horns? Yeah. Like just, he had just had horns for a helmet? Right, like, something like that. And yeah. then you just see that next to the pool of blood and there's nothing else. The, the hammer just completely demolished this person. Yeah. Um, similar to, uh, and, and again, this is, I think, you know. I guess many films of this era, there's a lot of overlap between all three of our segments on the show. But um, yeah, definitely similar to Warrior and the Sorceress, definitely a lot of just like conventionally beautiful, disposable women in this film. Um, Mm -hmm. There's definitely... It it almost feels like every couple yards or something, there's a damsel being, you know potentially raped by brigands that uh deathstalker kind of finds himself coming upon and yeah that, that that's more much more gratuitous in this movie i feel like yeah very much so yeah there's a lot of sexual violence in this movie. yeah yeah very much so even I'm from not... deathstalker as we've pointed out yeah like I feel like really... every time he beds a lady he's always yeah, kind of rapey about it yeah really like yeah. just yeah there's no yeah there's really no indication from any of these women like that was kind of the first thought that i had when you had when the movie starts with you know this one guy who's kidnapped this woman and then he's ambushed by these other bandits um who then are like oh we're gonna now we're gonna take this woman and and have our way with her too and then death soccer you know vanquishes all of them very easily and and i was like wait what literally distinguishes you from the prior two parties that like she's kind of not as actively fighting it off, but clearly she did not indicate in any way that especially because this guy's an outlaw, it. also, right? So yeah, it's exactly. Like, so you're a ruffian, man. Like, yeah. I guess the only thing that distinguishes him is that he's yeah. a blonde person. Yeah, which which also <laughs> has troubling implications. Yeah, um, I I mean, I, it's interesting that I think um they do make a point of of. Uh, of fleshing out that uh, Deathstalker seems to be a bit of a boobs man, though. 
that like he <laughs> he 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 he, gi- he gives very particular attention to the breasts yeah. for for both women that he beds in this movie. He does. Um like yeah, the first one that, you know, again, it's clearly not it's clearly not obviously consensual, but like that he just he he's very particular about them. He seduces him with his yeah. uh, attention to the breasts, I guess. Yeah, I guess I jumped the gun a little bit on our sections. We're still in shot, shot, shot. Yeah, because we, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of jumped the shot. So we'll we'll talk about that more later. Yeah, we're talking about the sexual violence. But but, but yeah, but like, we can talk about Rick Hill, who plays um, Deathstalker, and we mentioned how at, at least at the very beginning of the movie, he does seem like he has a good grasp of what kind of movie he's in. He does, yeah. Um, what. He's definitely not a good actor in a traditional sense, I would say. <laughs> tra- tra- tradition be damned. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that many, there are that many senses in which he is a good actor. Um, other, other than just the, I mean, he's, he's clearly bringing a bit of wit to the table, at mm-hmm. least. Like, you know, I think he is kind of, he was, he was at his best with, like, the quippy moments. Like, I think. Uh, how, does he handle, handle, how did he handle the action scenes, do you think? Uh, again, I actually was, like, pretty impressed with how... How he handled his his fighting too. Um, like the action in this movie definitely hit a lot harder. Like just from that first moment, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. They really- it's, and it's weird that the other movie had David Carradine, who is known as this martial art expert, and yet the the action scenes were very lifeless. Yeah, they really were. They just. Yeah, I was really uninspired. Yeah, this was, one at least like they were very zippy. They were better edited, but I think I feel like the performers had more fun with it too. Yeah, very much so. Um, also I have to say, um, I I was pretty impressed with the horseplay in this movie. There are like, a lot they, of good horseplay. They yeah. uh, either either by virtue of the camera work or maybe they were just going for it. But like those horses seem to be really going at each other really yeah. fast in yeah. some of those shots. So I was I was. Yeah, I was and I'm not sure if Rick Hill was riding his own horse or had a stuntman, but um, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't have a stuntman because this was so low, low budget. I feel like they, in a lot of movies like this, especially at this time, they would they would cast stunt people as the actors because they had zero budget yeah. and because they already could handle the action. And I want to say that that was the case with Rick Hill too, even though he doesn't really have like any other credits to his name. Yeah, this yeah. is like his only big right. He doesn't really have any. You know, so oh. he wasn't even in Deathstalker too. There was a sequel to Deathstalker. There was, and he was—he didn't come back. He didn't play oh, Deathstalker. But he was such an absolute unit. Who could they have gotten <laughs> to to convey that that same wry sense of gravitas? We talked a little bit about Richard Brooker, who played Ogress. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing about him, he so he was a stuntman. He was an English actor and a stuntman. He's also known for his role in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three where he played Jason Voorhees. Really? Yeah, in the ski mask. Wow. Wait, wait. He, he, so he was the he was he was the original Jason. The original one in, in the ski mask. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Cuz who who would have thought? I mean, I mean Ogres is a fucking good-looking man. I mean, who would have thought Jason <laughs> was such a babe? Like, damn. Um, well, and especially just like Ogres, Ogres or Deathstalker? Ogres. Definitely, no, yeah. no, uh, no. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Like, he's a good-looking guy. I thought you would th- over Deathstalker. 
<laughs> a little bit, yeah. Honestly, honestly, uh, you know, full disclosure, he I does am have straight, those big baleful eyes. You well, know? Well, well, that was, yeah, that's what does it for me. <laughs> full confession as a straight man. Not like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying. Well, and and also, I mean, his his crop top thing that he had going on. Oh yeah, on, he was like showing off his midriff. Totally for, like, showing the first off those abs. Movie. Like, I was like, man, like you know, I was, I was, uh, his whole progression of the character, like. I feel like, again, undercooked in this movie, like we get this impression that it's going to be like kind of like a buddy movie when he shows up because yeah. they become fast friends and it makes sense. Like they kind of develop that kind of yeah. well, even though it's, you know, quick and dirty. Yeah. And I was kind of I was kind of looking forward to like having a bit of that dynamic, like especially since they're both going into the tournament. Right. I was looking for some of that camaraderie because that would be a good opportunity to have like those quips flying off each other or something. Yeah. But there's no conflict between them except when all of a sudden he decides to turn on Deathstalker for like no reason, really. Yeah. Or I guess that he was he, he was in on it from the beginning or something. I didn't because, get that impression. Well, because um because he has that line when he's brought into uh, Munkar's torture yeah. chamber and he says, oh, this is how you treat the person who brought you Deathstalker. So. Which I guess it could be seen that way. I thought that that was more I read that more as a I'm going to say this to save my hide kind of thing. Oh, uh, OK. But it could be read that way. But either way, yeah. regardless. It, it still not, wasn't established well. Like, yeah, exactly. And when it wasn't satisfying. Because, because you, you didn't get like a... There could have been like a scene when they first met or after, like maybe in the campfire or something, where you get like a little like look or aside from him where you kind of get that, oh, maybe this guy's kind of duplicitous. But it doesn't establish anything. Yeah, well, and, and, it was, and it was pretty unsatisfying both because they didn't really do anything to hint at it leading mm-hmm. up to it. And then also after the reveal, they don't they don't capitalize on the opportunity to add some tension. No, they there's just no Im- tension. They just immediately are like, oh, okay, well, I'm on Munkar's side and I'm gonna go kill Deathstalker for Munkar. And then he just goes straight to Deathstalker yeah. and then they just have that... Uh, and Munkar specifically tells him don't attack him when he has his sword. And the dude fucking attacks him when he has his sword. Yeah. And Death and Deathstalker is kind enough to then just put the sword down and be like, no, I'm going to kill you with Mono my fucking bare hands anyway. Like, and when he's like, uh, f- uh, forgive me, my friend, or something, or goodbye, my friend, and then yeah. snaps his neck. I think it might have been even simpler than that. I think I, I remembered it as just, you're my friend, or something like that. Oh, really? I thought it was a goodbye, my friend. But or it was definitely it was, something, was. Yeah, something, which I feel, I feel like, again, that would have been, that would have carried more weight, that line, if we had established a friendship more yeah. or something like that. Well, yeah, but, and, and again, like, yeah, why didn't, why, why did they just immediately have them fight each other? Like, why not just, why not have some time where Ogris yeah, some suspense. is trying to, you know, get, you know, find his moment to, there is no tension in this movie at all. It's just a bunch of like plot points strung together. And speaking yeah. of no tension, I want to talk about Monkar. Um, because Monkar's connection with Do- with Deathstalker is never really explained either. Deathstalker shows up yeah. at the palace and Monkar immediately has it out for him. Well, so in Warrior and the Sorceress, there's never really a a yeah, the the the, the hero of that movie is never really like established, right? Well, like- Kane at least when he shows up he 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 proceeds to play them off each other. That's the central conflict. He does, there. yeah. But there's never this thing of like, oh, Kane's back, right? Like, no, he's, he is a relative stranger. Yeah, to everybody. nobody really knows um, who he is. In fact, they call him the Dark One. Yeah, exactly, the Dark One. I mean, um, this one they call him. They already know he's Deathstalker. Yeah, the, yeah. The so guard the guard goes into the chambers and he's like. Um, 
Monkar or your whatever. Your Deathstalker's camping. Deathstalker's yeah, yeah. Like why? So why were you waiting for him? How do you know that this guy's coming? Like you know? Yeah. Well. Uh, oh yeah. Well, and this is the other thing too that kind of drove me crazy was that um, so so Monkar's got this whole devious plot wherein he will uh, have a tournament. Um, to determine who his heir is, but of course he is immortal and will live forever. So and he's going to kill whoever so, wins. And he's going to kill whoever wins. So why have a tournament? His well, he does explain that in the movie. His his explanation is that he's going to, um, in in that way, he's going to get rid of all the great warriors of the land because they're going to kill each other off. Oh, I missed that line. And then he's going to be the only person left standing. Ah, okay. Well, that, that's it's, that's it's not that's, the best idea, but not the worst. Not the worst either. No, it's it it has some it has some continuity. Yeah, that just like get everyone together, yeah. have them kill each other, and then I'm going to kill the last one. Yeah. Then instead of having to kill forty people, I only have to fight one. Yeah. Well, that's, so I guess that's it makes actually, sense. Yeah, that's actually. <laughs> that's actually a pretty decent plot. Yeah. Okay. And so that's so, on me. That's on me. So for if we have one. if we have it established that Kang is is actually Munkar. It, then it would make sense because Kang encounters Deathstalker in the woods when they're fighting with the witch. But because that connection isn't really established well, it, then I really don't see how, yeah. why, why Monkar already knows who Deathstalker is and why. Yeah. Like, I would have I mean, liked to, to have an establishment of, like, a history there or something between them, you know? Yeah, it, it would have been nice if the film helped us out a little bit with that. But also, I mean, I kind of... I, I generally assume with these movies, like, it's it's a coin toss whether the villain of the film already knows and has it out for the hero or not. Because that is kind of a trope of the thing, too, that, like, you know, the villain's like, oh, it's that dastardly Deathstalker. Right. Um, so I, I kind of, I, I was able to roll with it when it was clear, like, that he has a grudge against him. I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. The villain... The villain does always fear the hero and always will connive and plot to get the hero out of the way and inevitably fail. What do you think of uh, Monkar as a villain generally? Eh, a little, a little, a little bland. Yeah. A little bland. Like, you know, yeah, he's got the interesting face tattoo and he's a mystic and everything. So, like, that's, uh, that's fine. But um, they never really... I mean, he w he was at his most interesting when the king who's pleading with Deathstalker to kill him is talking about the situation because right. like, ooh, that's like an interesting situation that like he used to be the court magician but mm. then betrayed the king. Like that's that's some cool backstory. Right. And and even Deathstalker, he says that like he once defeated an entire army. Um, yeah, by turning him into sheep. Right. Um, yeah, so We never get to see power on that level, though. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a thing. It's like when they're setting up all the backstory, it's like, okay, well, that's, like, kind of cool. Right. Like, you know, so, you know, this magician who disrupted the natural order of things and, uh, yeah, and, and that he has that Stole kind of power. Stole the castle from the king. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a cool... The king never factors in again. Why, no. why not bring him at the end? Like, instead of having this crappy ending that just ends, why not have a, a denouement where the king comes back, comes into power, and then gives his daughter over the Deathstalker, and then, 
yeah. you have a satisfying ending. Yeah, well, and also because I, I was like, well, okay, Deathstalker's clearly so dismissive of this king's plea for his help, but then also Deathstalker, uh, did he, was he friends with the witch or something? Because the witch then sends him on this quest, and, and yeah, her quest is a little more appealing because it's like, I'm going to give you all the power. Right. But it's I'm not also, it's not well established. But, but yeah, I wasn't sure why Deathstalker was so game to listen to the witch's riddles right. that when he was clearly very dismissive of the king. Yeah, and so. De- and Deathstalker is not, I guess, the most. I don't know. Like his alliances are aren't very well defined either, because no. like he's with Kyra, and then he's not. And then when he sees the princess, he switches immediately to like the oh, I want the princess, and and then he's yeah. bad. So I, I, you know, maybe he's just a go with the flow kind of guy. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't seem to me like a very well. His arc is not very well defined either. He never really struggles, except at the very end when all of a sudden he decides I'm not going to have this power. I'm going to destroy it. But we never really see him struggling with any of that beforehand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's nothing there. Um, Speaking of of Kyra, I want to talk about her stupid death. Because I actually think that Kyra had the potential to be like one of the most interesting characters in this movie. Yeah. And then she just fucking goes out. Not to like be facetious about it, but she goes out like a bitch, you know. (laughs) She does. She does go out like a punk a little bit, right? um, Yeah, I was. um, I I didn't even see her get stabbed in that fight at all. Yeah, yeah. She kills the other dude, and then she's like deathly wounded. How? Yeah, I think it was. It was like blink and you miss it. Like it was. Yeah, it was definitely not a a well established. But like. um, yeah. It's like a flesh wound or something. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, I mean, that's what she gets for having that armor. And I mean, obviously, no, none, which is to say none, <laughs> like literally walking around the woods with her breasts out. And again, this is obviously, again, obviously our quarrel is not really with her because she didn't choose that armor. Right. The fucking writer and the director did. The so, director probably. And the um, producer, Roger Corman, he's like, yeah. I want more tits. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's go into the next segment, which yeah. is Boob Tube. Um, and we can keep talking about Kyra. And 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 really, yeah, well that's a thing. The boob tube does kind of have to start with Kyra just like and and What I a mean, missed opportunity. When I was and I was excited for her presence in the movie Me because too. especially in such stark contrast to Warrior and the Sorceress, because in that movie really there was not a single woman that had any agency right. whatsoever. And Kyra at least for starters was a war- yeah for starters was a warrior right and then on top of that there was the fact that um during that big fight scene in the mud bath mm-hmm. house um that she you know she tried to take opportunity of the chaos unfolding to free the princess mm-hmm. um it it made me wonder if she was supposed to have had some sort of connection to the princess. Like, was she really? Yeah, that's a good was question. Was she in this to rescue her? Or because she tries like to do that later on, also. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's so. a good that, again not established, but that would have been a good uh, good development for the character. If yeah. maybe maybe she used to work for the princess in some capacity. Maybe she was like a lady in waiting, and then when they stole the princess away, she became a warrior or yeah. something like that. You know, like give me something exciting yeah. to to hang my hat on but there's nothing really there yeah also speaking of disappointing op- or disappointing unlived up to opportunities to give women agency in this movie um i was excited for the first shots of the princess in this movie yeah, for starters because she had pants and an, an entire outfit yeah, yeah it included a very low-cut corset but like 
you know, I was like, hey. That went is, out the window quick. Yeah, that went out the window incredibly quickly. The um, in the harem and but, then yeah but also she was but also she was like resisting very ferociously throughout her capture you know mm-hmm. like she fucking stole some meat from one of the other women um and and yeah like every time the guards were there she like she was fighting like hell to get out of the situation so i was like oh i was i was i was hoping that she would kind of have more interesting things to do but then um pretty much from the moment deathstalker carries her basically nothing else happens with her and um uh, other 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 than that weird moment where where uh Munkar transforms his henchman into her so it's not even her right it's not even her so that doesn't count as character development yeah. even though as as an actress performance the the ver- not the scene later on in the bedroom but the scene after she's immediately transformed i thought that that was a that was a fun moment for her as an actress to kind of show but, the awkwardness of being yeah the fi- yeah the physical comedy was yeah. actually pretty great right. um yeah the way uh, the way she had that uh, sort of masculine walk yeah and then and she and had then to adjust had herself to stop and 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 give herself a little hip sway I yeah. was like that, that that was actually nicely done mm-hmm. I thought um and then it takes such a weird turn now that we're actually getting into boob tube land right. um where. <laughs> Oh, like I don't even know what to make of that whole sequence when because it was it was her and it wasn't her and then he's like who are you and then she's like I'm the princess and then he's like okay let me go back to raping you I guess yeah yeah because <laughs> right? again she like, literally just tried to put a knife in him right? he's like, like nope so I'm still weird. gonna get mine Ugh, but yeah. then it turns out that it's not her and he's like get out of here. But that's all. That's all the, the the character development that they get together because later when we see her, she's by Munkar's side. There's really no... And she's just watching. There's the no connection yeah, the between she, them. Yeah, that's the thing. She's She is completely inactive for yeah. the rest of the movie. And yeah, and somehow like we're expected to believe that, that A, Deathstalker wants to save her and then B, that she wants to be saved by Deathstalker. Yeah. I don't really see that at all. Yeah. Um, and, and again, in this movie, it's again, just like almost every single woman in this film is conventionally beautiful, bearing their breasts in some yeah. way, um, being raped by somebody usually. Every um, like five minutes. Yeah. That bathhouse scene, especially, I was just like, I was very put off by just how like, you know, when, when like all of the participants in the tournament are there, pretty much Every woman in that scene is getting raped. Yeah. Except except for there was like one woman who it kind of looked like she was going down on uh, Deathstalker at one point. Oh right. Um. So so like and I then, said, and then I Kyra guess, like booted her and, out. Uh, yeah, and then Kyra kicks her out. Um. So so yeah, I guess, I guess I guess again the rule of this universe is that the only one capable of consent is Deathstalker. Death technically, well, oh, Ogres uh, has his yeah. little, his girlfriend that you know. Yeah, that is true. Sticks by him the whole time, but but even. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of rapey at the beginning yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely had a yeah had a struggling but it gives beginning. us the opportunity to see ogres swinging from a chandelier yes that's so <laughs> random yeah when the things yeah when things start like kicking off in that scene and then all of a sudden we just get that like, one what fucking the fuck? shot of ogres doing. i guess again it must just be like well we hired a stunt man for this role so uh let's just get all the mileage that we can out of it um barbie Ooh. barbie benton who played Princess Codile. Uh, she's best known for appearing in Playboy magazine. Yeah. Um, and also she was a four-season regular on the comedy series Hee Haw. Uh-huh. I don't know Hee Haw at all. 
Oh, it's like an old comedy series. Okay. Was that good? It takes place in the farmhouse. I mean, I, I guess it's good in the sense that people enjoyed it. But that I think that you can see, especially again in that scene where with the physical comedy that we're talking about, you can kind of see your comedy chops there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I think she. Yeah, she. she and I kind of wish that, that I kind of wish well. that she had played that they had played more with that. You know, like giving her a little more to do in that. Yeah, agreed. Um, she was also known for recording several modestly successful albums in the 1970s. Oh, that's cool. She, so was she, she a, a singer? Di- yeah, a pretty diversified um, uh, performer there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Now, going back to um, Kyra, I want to talk about Lana Clarkson. She has a very interesting story as well. This film actually launched her career as an actress. Okay. Um, And she became a recognizable cult celebrity in the sword and sorcery genre. She appeared in several sword and sorcery movies. Uh, she actually went on to work with Roger Corman again, the producer. I okay. guess she enjoyed the experience or something. Good for um, her, I guess. Again, it's just like, <laughs> well, if if you enjoy being characters who are so ridiculously dressed, um, but yeah, I guess. She worked with him on a movie called Barbarian Queen. Okay. <laughs> and also on the sequel, which was called Barbarian Queen 2, The Empress Strikes Back. <laughs> no. No. Yep. Dude. Now, no. I, I want to... Hang on, wait. I just... I, I, I want to sit with okay. the knowledge that that... <laughs> I just... The Empress Strikes Back. Okay. Okay, I'm good. Now we can move on. I just, I just needed a second to just... Wow. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. Now, I wanted to, to uh, let you know what read to you read to you what Roger Corman thought about the Barbarian Queen movie uh, and Lana I, Thompson. I'm, I'm assuming she was the Barbarian Queen. She was and, the Barbarian Queen. Cool. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, I was going to say, like, if she's going to continue to work with this guy again, like, you know, at, at least continue to have the at least continue to be strong and mm-hmm. to continue to play some badasses. So I, I hope that. Anyways, yes. Well, Roger Corman referred to Barbarian Queen and Lana Clarkson as the original Xena because of the parallel in featuring a strong female leading character in an action-oriented sword-swinging role. Um, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say nice try there, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to say nice try Having there. not seen Barbarian Queen. Well, A, having not seen Barbarian Queen, and B... Having not necessarily seen all of Xena Warrior Princess, but uh, but my uh, but my mom was a very big fan mm-hmm. of it back in the day, so I've definitely caught a fair number of episodes mm-hmm. enough that I feel like I have a decent grasp on you know that show's mission statement. I think that you know on the on the one hand, yes, I hear what he's saying about you know a, a female protagonist who you know is a strong warrior and all that stuff um but also I mean, as far as her role in this film, I mean she's just so gratuitously over sexualized in the film and um and not not again not necessarily to say that you know it's it's odd or over sexualized for her to like have sexual desires, but it's like right. the fact that she's you know strolling around the land and you know, the fact that she's a warrior and literally the only part of her body that's covered is, you know, her 
you know, yeah, her, bot- was, her bottom. Why half, not so. even wear a top? Like, yeah. you know, so. So, yeah, like it's 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 very clear that her, you know, her 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 presence in the films is much more about uh, is much more about feeding the the fantasies of uh, of the dudes, teenage boys of the teenage boys. Yeah, that's the other thing I'm 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 realizing about these films, because, again, these are all R rated films and it just it, it. it, it, watching this film in a way kind of put me back in like a younger frame of mind. And I was kind of thinking about like the blockbuster days Mm -hmm. because I was thinking to myself like, man, when I was younger and I was like, you know, I I couldn't even imagine all the adult things that I would be missing when I was not allowed to watch R-rated films. And now I'm just thinking as I'm watching this movie, like what a fucking juvenile movie these are. Like both of them. They're very... They're they're clearly made with that demographic in mind. Yeah, like... A lot of action, a lot of nudity. That's it. Like no storytelling whatsoever because like young boys are just going to watch it for the killings and the sex pretty much. Yeah, exactly. The things that we like to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so I would, yeah, I, I would say nice try. I, I could I could see maybe that she was like the first step towards Xena, but um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say she was the first Xena. Right. I I would say she was part of a trend building towards what would eventually become Xena. Because, you know, Xena, I think, you know, while she does have a fairly skimpy outfit, like, her character is not sexualized in that way. Not not in this way, no. Yeah. She does have a lot of sex power, like uh, sexual energy. Yeah, but but it's rooted in, it's rooted in her own character's desires. And plus, there's a lot more development in there. It's not just like... It's not like her just walking around killing people. There's like actual thought and, and, uh, and yeah. arcs going on. And I feel like that's when I go back to this being like a missed opportunity with the Kyra character, which I think is my biggest disappointment with this movie is, um, you know, you could I could see with just a few tweaks of the script and directing and all that. I could see her being a really solid, badass female character. Yeah. I just don't think that that was like the headspace that they were going for, I guess. No. Because it, yeah. it feels like, you know, they they established her to be this badass warrior and then when she got in the way of the story, they killed her off. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Like she became like rudimentary or a redundancy because they're like, well, we already have one hot blonde warrior. We don't need two. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Deathstalker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Stalker, first name Death, you know. Um, another interesting thing about Lana, uh, sad thing about Lana is uh, in 2003, she was shot and killed inside the home of record producer Phil Spector. He was charged with second-degree murder and was convicted on April 13, 2009. I remember when Phil Spector... Phil Spector is, of course, the famous record producer who created the wall of sound that's so iconic in a lot of those late 50s, early 60s recordings, like by the Ronettes and other groups like that. Yeah, I um, mean, uh, fucking, uh, you know, Let It Be. Oh, yeah, the Let It Be album was produced by him also. Um, I I remember when that trial happened, and I I did not make the connection first time I watched this movie that that was actually her. That was the the lady that, that he shot. In in and that's Jeez, crazy. I had I had no. I mean, I I knew I knew 
the name Phil Spector, I pretty much only knew him in the context of Let It Be, specifically that, you know, the majority of the Beatles community was like, fuck everything about this album because right. the wall of sound. So you know, it was really overproduced. Yeah, it was very overproduced and all that stuff. Um, but but I knew I knew from just my understanding of that album that, like, you know, he had his own kind of you know, pedigree and influence. Um, and uh, he's considered one of the greatest producers of all time. Yeah. So that's, that is just, I, that's crazy. That really crazy. Literally, literally fucking murdered somebody. Um, or at least was charged with murder. Um, no, I mean, the, the dude well, did well, it. Well, he was convicted, right? They, did they convict him or? He, he says, yes, they convicted him. Okay. So, so, so okay, he yeah. says though that, that it wasn't, I guess he tried to like have it as a defense that it was like kind of suicide because he says that he was holding the gun and then she kissed the gun and the gun went off. That's how he frames it. And so then, he was trying for like the manslaughter angle, something, something like, like that. that. But, mm. um, but I mean, the the dude did it. Like he's a, when you when you watch like when you read about the story more and and you actually like watch like you know uh, clips from the trial and all that stuff. Like the dude at that point in his life was pretty certifiable. He was kind of really yeah. gross individual. Yeah. So uh, whatever I mean, it, whatever specter of a genius that he had. No pun intended. <laughs> Whatever specter oh. of a genius that he oh. had back in the day was gone by that point. But that's really, really sad for, for Lana. Yeah. I really felt sorry when I read that. Yeah. Um, there's one more major female character in this movie. Uh, I guess we have to mention her because she does come back, and I guess she presumably plays a very important you know, part in the plot. It's... Toralva, the witch, but again, so undercooked. And also, yeah, I mean, again, the witch's name was one, was another one of the names in this film that I was just struggling with. So yeah. I, I hear you there. Um, like what, what was her connection with Deathstalker? You even asked the question a little while ago, did they just meet at that scene? Like, it, it seemed like maybe... They did, but maybe they didn't. Like yeah, maybe there was a history there. Yeah, that's there. the thing. Like uh, the the fact that he was like clearly welcome in her home was like okay, maybe she's maybe she's dealt with him before or something like that. But yeah, yeah, I was um, yeah, I was pretty confused by that. And and yeah, again, she really does just like well, I mean, you know, if if we're gonna like you know go back to the Camp Billion structure, I guess or something like that. Um, you know, there is the whole idea that, um, you know, the the king's appeal to him to help him, you know, overthrow Munkar. Mm-hmm. You know, may, that does serve the purpose of, you know, the first call to adventure right. that that Deathstalker refuses. But the, and then and then later on, there's, you know, the witch is clearly meant to be his kind of, you know, spiritual guide. Right. Or something like She's that. like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. So that I get. I get that she literally fills that role, but, but yeah, it's just so badly realized because all he does is complain about how she's incomprehensible right. for the whole movie. And, and she never, she doesn't even come back until like the end when all of, and, oh, you're important to the plot again. And, but it's like, there's no reason for it. And I was actually thinking about, uh, Salmaron's character. Cause Salmaron is this dude who's in there. Uh, I, I guess for comic relief, even though he's not very badly used as well. Oh, was he the one who like was originally a creature in the right. cave, but then gets right? Killed? 
And also, what was up with Deathstalker having to become a kid to... So weird. Yeah. yeah. So weird. Yeah, it's so weird how There's the first half of this movie, like, was definitely the better half of the movie and definitely clipped and and was yeah. well-paced, but also has a lot of very weird what-the-fuck shit that's just... It's just so... All these details are really weird. Yeah. Um, but my question is, why not combine those characters? Why not combine Teralva and Sal Moran into one character? Because they serve basically the same purpose in the movie, and then you would have had, like, a deeper, richer character who could be the spiritual advice and be the the comic relief when needed. Yeah. And it would have been kind of funny to have like a, I think like a woman in that, like when, when he falls into the pit and surrounded by women, it would have been kind of funny to have like the witch in that situation. Yeah, I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Depending on who you get to play her. I mean, I guess that's the other thing too, is that because since the witch is, all she does is speak in riddles. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, her character would have to be t- retooled to to sort of fit that kind of comedic. No, dynamic, yeah, you would have to. Re- but, yeah, you would have to um, retool them. Yeah, she couldn't be the same character. But no, yeah, but she's barely a character as she is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah. I'm. I was very puzzled by because I don't. Have, I just. I just don't know what Salmaron is doing in the movie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like he really just yeah. have him as the creature. Have Deathstalker take the sword and then just leave him behind. Why do you have to have him? Tag, tag along there's it makes yeah. no sense yeah that's the thing there's there's really no payoff for him becoming a man he's again, only there right? to have like funny reactions like when death stalker is having sex with uh with kyra and he's just like like <laughs> and for most of that scene i thought death stalker was making those noises <laughs> no it was Salmaron. And, um, and that's gonna be my head canon that death stalker just again he's he loves his boobs so i uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah the fact the idea that he's just like sucking on her boobs and and going like (laughs) oh that whole scene (laughs) that whole scene let's go into our final segment which is Mm, that's problematic and again so much overlap so much overlap especially between the sex and the problematic yeah just like yeah, there but, there was so much sexual violence in this movie, and it's... we haven't even this violence. Also, we haven't even talked about the weird kid that Munkar was like chopping off body parts and feeding his little demon friend. Ooh, or whatever. Yeah, and what was the point of the? There was no demon? point. Like again, it was not established in any like there was no reason story wise for that. I guess just yeah. Munkar is an evil bastard. Yeah, um, but there's a yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, problematic things that i think that you even caught uh, like when there's really not a lot of like racial diversity in this movie yeah yeah there's like one there's one part there's like one woman in munkar's harem who i think was asian but she had um, asian characteristics i guess yeah yeah i uh but also she had a lot of makeup most on of the face, extras so. were argentinian but um yeah. they still looked pretty white overall yeah the only person that was distinctly from a different race or species was pig man yeah and, and they and he and he was cannibal yeah too. he was a cannibal he was um, established as sort of like a barbarian or some yeah, sort yeah i i yeah, again, very ill-defined. Just, like, not even <laughs> that well fleshed out. Just like There's just not... 
you could say that the, all of this movie is problematic, but I kind of countered that there's like not enough of this movie to even be problematic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think, you know, we, we've already kind of covered it a fair bit, but I do have to say, like, you know, yeah, Deathstalker is, is as much of a, you know, fucking sort of rapist outlaw as right. any one of the guys that he easily vanquishes right. because, like, yeah, the there's there's never any real sense of reciprocation or and 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 you know again the 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 content of sexual violence isn't necessarily the problem but it's it's the fact that it's it's clearly depicted as this like enjoyable thing that right. it's like that it's, it's like when when Sean Connery as Bond rapes pussy galore and then turns her straight you know it's yeah. like that kind of thing it's like the power of the hero man to yeah. like use sexual violence to turn women into his willing subjects yeah like that's the thing is that like it's just it's all part of the it's all part of the appeal of the film that's like oh you're gonna you're gonna see all these uh, gorgeous naked women and uh and you're gonna see all this sex except like all of the sex is very clearly non-consensual right. so it's like yeah it, it it very much taints any ability yeah. to you know enjoy it even right. at, at at that completely superficial ridiculous pornographic level yeah um i agree yeah so because you, 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 like yeah. i feel like this is the kind of movie that if i again that this is a, a, probably an exercise that is not beneficial to anyone but if i were to remake this movie <laughs> I believe. I believe, Orlando. You look. I, you, you've got. A, you've got a strong head for these things. You're a. You know. You're a prolific writer. Um. You know. You. You can. You can do it. If I. If I were to remake this movie, first of all, I would take out all the rape. You know. Yeah. Um. And but 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 second of all, or, or at least properly contextualize it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, at you least... you could still have violence, but I would just not have it. I would just. I don't know. You could. You don't have to like, have sexual violence in order. You don't have to put women in those situations in in your work in order to establish that there is danger to their person. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's exactly. two different things. I think it's like an overused trope. Yeah. to be like, oh, I'm in danger because I'm going to get raped. Yeah. There are many different ways for a woman to be in danger, or for a person it doesn't have to be a woman even yeah. like for a person to be in danger that's not yeah. sexual. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know, giving Deathstalker um, more rounded out character making him more quippy and uh, having him actually forge a relationship with these women like Kyra and Codil, especially rather than expecting them to just fall for him because the dude has sex powers or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, super, supernatural boob game is what I'm going <laughs> with. I'm just going with that. Uh, he, he, he has a way with breasts that transcends all notions of, uh, about him. Yeah. It, it transcends all notions of consent, you know, like, yeah. all right. So we're, uh, coming to the end of our discussion. Final thoughts, Ned, <laughs> death stalker. Was it a bad movie? So, so movie, good movie, great movie. What are your thoughts? It was a bad movie, but look, I'm smiling, <laughs> but I'm smiling. That's what I'm going to say, you know? Um, yeah, it, this one was very bad. Um, I didn't even really get a chance to talk that much just about, like, 
Well, I mean, we, we've been kind of talking about the sloppy storytelling, but like, yeah, there's a fair amount of sloppy editing. Certainly one or two instances where it's like, okay, clearly some explanation has been skipped over mm-hmm. in this transition to our next sequence. Um, but, you know, this one had a little more energy, had a little more punch to it at least. Um, uh, it just kind of, I, I think there was some promise in the first half that the second half just was clearly not equipped to yeah. deliver on. Yeah. And so uh, it it all ends up being just more incomprehensible, offensive <laughs> stuff. Um, how, how are you feeling about this movie? Well, uh... If we have, you can't watch this movie without comparing it to Warrior and the Sorceress, especially since we watched it so close Very together. Recently, yeah. Um, I feel like this is a bad movie, but I feel like you said it's an enjoyably bad movie, yeah. and especially compared to the Warrior and the Sorceress, I feel like the Warrior and the Sorceress is a movie that I, if I don't ever see the Warrior and the Sorceress again. I'm not missing out on anything. And if someone is like, hey, Orlando, you want to watch The Warrior and the Sorceress? Part of me will be like, hey, maybe that's a journey that you should take on your own. But (laughs) if someone's like, hey, Orlando, do you want to watch Deathstalker? I'll be like, fuck yeah, let's watch some (laughs) Deathstalker because this is a bad movie, but at least I can laugh at it and make fun of it. And and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. And we can talk about, you know, the things that are obviously in poor taste. There's a lot in poor taste in this movie. But it's still, at the end of the day, one of the more fun of these sort of, like, Z-level movies from the 1980s. Z, Z-level <laughs> as opposed to A movie or B movie? Yeah, just a Z movie. Yeah. I know we were talking about some C movies, but... Uh, it just yeah, keeps going down. C, that D, second E, half, F. That, yeah, that second half really drops it pretty low in the alphabet. That's for sure. But I do I, I do think that, there, that this is the kind of movie, though, that, like you were saying, like, you know, me as a writer... I could definitely take the skeleton of this movie and try to like make a, a better story out of it because there is a lot of promise in this movie that Warrior and the Sorceress did not have. First of all, because Warrior and the Sorceress is already so derivative of other works of uh, of Yojimbo and um, Fistful of Dollars that there's really nothing original or inspired about it at all. Yeah. At least like this movie has like crazy original thinking in there even though it's totally misguided and it's not explored it's all superficial yeah. but there's like enough of that there where I feel like in more skillful hands I'm not saying I'm that skillful person but I, in more skillful hands you could take this type of story and turn it into something that's actually pretty pretty darn good I, I think this story would be safe in your hands <laughs> first of all I would have, would have the joke in there that <laughs> Mr. Stalker is my father call yeah. me death <laughs> good I'm glad <laughs> that good. Definitely needs to be I'm in glad. there. I'm glad. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence. Thank you for joining me, Ned. Thank you for surviving with me. I Orlando. hope you join me again next time. And I, I hope think I will. And I hope everyone out there listening will join us again next time, where we'll discuss another terrible or great movie, depending on it. But you know, sometimes sometimes a good movie, sometimes a bad movie. Yeah. It's a toss of a dice, you know. Yeah, yeah. So until next time, I want you all to stalk the lands and find and watch some movies. Yes. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys. The very best violence. No relationship. No emotions.